0: Hi, YouTube, it's Josh and Miles. Welcome back to my channel. Today, we're going to be covering another solved true crime case for my Curious Case series. As you can tell, I'm not in my usual setup. But I'm actually at my friend's house in Bath, um, just hanging out, but I will resume in the normal setup next week, so don't you worry. I'd just like to point out this video is not being made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It's just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various public sources on the internet. Now, with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. So this case actually takes place in central England and it's centered around the children's ward at the Grantham Hospital in Lincolnshire. Now if you're not familiar with England, in this particular area, there are about 100,000 people that live there and about a third of those people are actually children. More than 2,000 kids a year are born in this area with the vast majority of them being born at Grantham Hospital. Now in around the 1990s, the hospital began to struggle and this was largely due to the fact that it was understaffed. The hospital a very large community of people and has a lot of patients, young and old, but they didn't have enough medical staff to treat all of these patients. The hospital had posted job listings but was quickly becoming desperate. That is when Beverly Allitt, a 23-year-old woman from Grantham, decided to apply for the job. Now, despite the fact that Beverly had actually failed her nursing exams several times before this, and that she had a track record of excessive sick leave, the hospital offered her the job anyway. Now this would be a mistake that would change the lives of several families forever. As you can imagine, Beverly was over the moon that she had landed this job and she was hired as a state enrolled nurse at the hospital. However, Beverly was actually quite bitter because she'd applied to the Nottingham Hospital, which was about 30 miles away, and had been rejected. Beverly was determined to show the hospital administration at both the Nottingham Hospital and the hospital that she now worked at, the Grantham Hospital, just how competent she was. Everything went very smoothly from the first day that Beverly was employed. She settled in quickly and soon became a very valuable member of the nursing staff. That was until the 21st of February. 1991. The mother of seven-year-old Liam Taylor brought him in to the hospital with congested lungs. Now, it's unsure whether Liam had just a simple cough, or whether he was actually suffering from pneumonia. There are different sources that say different things about this, but what we do know is that he had some kind of chest illness there were conflicting reports on the baby's diagnosis but what we do know is that beverly made herself available to both liam's parents the baby was admitted to stay in the hospital overnight either on a precaution or due to the pneumonia beverly told liam's parents that liam was in very very good hands and sent liam's parents home to get some rest however when liam's parents returned the next day Beverly told them that Liam had taken a turn for the worst in the night and had been rushed to emergency care. But fortunately, Liam had recovered. As Liam began to get better, Beverly assured Liam's parents that she would watch over him and that Liam was in the best possible hands. In fact, Beverly actually volunteered for extra nursing duty on Liam's second night in hospital so that Beverly could watch over the seven-week-old baby. Now Liam's parents on this second night in hospital decided that they would also stay in the hospital. as it approached midnight, Liam's parents left to go to bed in the family room. Just after midnight, Liam went into another respiratory crisis. However, all the medical professionals that had seen Liam and sought Liam during this second crisis all agreed that he would get better and he was over the worst of it. So they decided that Liam should just rest until he was back to full health. Everyone left Liam in his room. His parents went back to the family room to sleep. The doctors left to attend other patients, all except for Beverly, who stayed alone in the room with Liam. But that's when things went from bad to worse. Beverly had sent two of the night nurses to go fetch some medical supplies so that they could be ready in the event of another respiratory crisis. And when these two nurses returned, they saw Beverly just stood next to Liam, staring at him. When they went over to Liam, Liam was as pale as a ghost. Then, red blotches began to appear on Liam's face, and that's when Beverly snapped out of it and called for the crash team. Liam had stopped breathing, and all the nurses were very confused. If Liam had stopped breathing, the alarms that he was attached to should have sounded. But they had, for some reason, failed. Shortly after Liam stopped breathing, he went into cardiac arrest. The doctors worked tirelessly to resuscitate the seven-week-old baby. However, Nothing could be done. The only thing keeping Liam alive was the life support machine he was attached to, which kept his lungs breathing. As a result of oxygen deprivation, Liam had suffered extensive brain damage. That's when Liam's parents made the devastating, heartbreaking, and extremely difficult decision to take Liam off the life support machine to allow him to die. This young boy had no history in his family of heart disease, and he had mysteriously succumbed to heart failure. Beverly watched the entire incident play out without saying a single word. As soon as Liam passed away, she just put on her coat and went home. Nobody asked her about her involvement in the seven-week-old baby's death. And then she returned back to work that afternoon just like nothing had happened. Little did the staff at the hospital know, or Liam's parents know, Beverly had just committed Murder. And this was just the start. Just two weeks after Liam died, on the 5th of March 1991, an 11 year old boy called Timothy Hardwick was administered to the hospital. Timothy suffered from cerebral palsy and had suffered from an epileptic fit before being administered to a hospital. Beverly soon took over Timothy's care. She was very concerned about Timothy's well being when she was attending to him. However, only a few minutes after being left alone with Timothy, Beverly came running for help. She was yelling that Timothy was going into cardiac arrest. The staff and crash team rushed into Timothy's room as he started to turn blue. And even after a specialist in pediatric medicine tried their hardest to save him, Timothy unfortunately passed away. An autopsy was quickly carried out on Timothy's body, which actually failed to provide an obvious cause of death. Timothy's epilepsy was blamed for his death. Five days later, a one-year-old girl called Kaylee Desmond was administered to the hospital with a congested chest. And, as with all of the other cases, Beverly took over her care. Kaylee seemed to have been recovering quite well, and everyone was quite happy with the progress she was making. That was until, in the same bed that Liam passed away, Kaylee went into cardiac arrest. The crash team rushed into Kaylee's room and managed to revive her before transferring her to a hospital in Nottingham. Physicians at Nottingham Hospital gave Kaylee a full medical examination to try to determine the cause of the cardiac arrest. That is when they found a very strange puncture hole underneath her armpit. Next to the hole was actually an air bubble underneath the skin, which the medical examiners at the time passed off to an accidental injection. There was no subsequent investigation. Now, Beverly was upset that Kaylee had survived this murder attempt, so she struck again and again. And again. In fact, she struck three times over the course of the next four days. On the 20th of March of that same year, Paul Crampton, who was a five-month-old baby, was diagnosed with bronchitis. Now, if you're not sure what bronchitis is, bronchitis is the inflammation of the mucous membrane, in the bronchial tubes. It typically causes bronchospasm and coughing. Now, fortunately for Paul, it wasn't a very serious case of bronchitis, and he was administered to the children's ward at the hospital. And that was for observation motivational purposes. Paul gradually got better and he was actually about to be discharged That was until things went horribly wrong. Beverly was attending Paul on her own when she suddenly noticed that Paul was taking a turn for the worst. She called out for help and doctors rushed into the room. The doctors noted that Paul was suffering from insulin shock. And this actually happened on three separate occasions, causing him to go into a near coma state. Fortunately, each time this happened, doctors were able to stabilize him and pull him out of the near coma state. But the doctors were at a complete loss for why Paul's blood sugar Kept dropping. The doctors made the decision to transfer Paul to the Nottingham Hospital by air ambulance. However, unlike with the last case, Beverly decided to ride in the air ambulance with Paul. And, as you can probably guess, Paul suffered from another insulin shock attack whilst in the air ambulance. When Paul arrived at Nottingham Hospital, doctors managed to stabilize him from the insulin shock and he didn't suffer from another one for the duration that he was at Nottingham Hospital and made a speedy recovery. Paul had come very, very close to dying on multiple occasions. But with thanks to the very talented doctors and nurses, Paul survived Beverly's murder attempt. The very next day, a five-year-old boy named Bradley Gibson was admitted to the hospital due to pneumonia. However, like the others, he suddenly started suffering from a heart attack. After half an hour of resuscitation attempts, the crash team managed to save Bradley's life. The crash team immediately ran blood tests on Bradley to try to determine the cause of the sudden heart attack. And to their surprise, the blood test results came back and showed that Bradley had really high insulin levels. This result made no sense at all to the doctors, and they couldn't figure out what it could be. Bradley suffered a second heart attack that night after being attended by Beverly, and he was immediately transferred by air ambulance to Nottingham Hospital, where he made a swift recovery. Now, by this point, you'd imagine that somebody was getting suspicious, but no. Nobody grew suspicious or at least nobody raised their concerns with anybody in a position of power. Beverly after numerous failed murder attempts decided to take a day off from her murder spree and then she tried again and this time her victim was a two year-old called Yick. Chan. Yik had been administered to hospital after falling from a window and fracturing his skull. Beverly started taking care of the boy, who soon started turning blue. And this was after appearing to be suffering from the signs of some kind of a heart attack. Doctors gave Yik oxygen, to which he responded quite well. He seemed to be recovering, but then, only a few hours later, he suffered a heart attack again. Yick was immediately transferred to Nottingham Hospital where, as you can probably guess, he made a swift and quick recovery. He had become very, very close to dying on two occasions. However, the doctors just blamed this on his fractured skull. Little did anybody know, the person who had been trusted to care for all of these children the one to blame that is when beverly turned her attention to twins katie and becky phillips were two month old twins that were actually born prematurely at the hospital they had stayed in the children's ward before being sent home everything was going great for them that was until they started suffering from gastroenteritis gastroenteritis is inflammation of the stomach and intestines typically resulting from bacterial toxins or viral infection which causes vomiting and diarrhea. Becky was admitted to hospital on April 1st, 1991 and just like with the other cases, Beverly soon took over Becky's care. Soon after being admitted, Beverly went running for help after Becky appeared to be suffering from a hypoglycemic attack. She had become cold to the touch, according to Beverly. However, when nurses came rushing in, they couldn't seem to find anything wrong with Becky. Becky was soon discharged that same day and was sent home with her mother. During the night, however, Becky started to have severe convulsions and wouldn't stop crying. Her parents tried to do everything that they could. They called an emergency doctor that told them that Becky could simply have colic. Now, if you don't know what colic is, colic is severe pain in the abdomen caused by wind or obstruction in the intestines and is suffered especially by babies. Becky's parents decided that the best course of action was to watch over Becky, so they brought her to sleep in their bed that night. And it was in their bed that night that Becky passed away. Becky's body was taken to the hospital to try to find an official cause of death. However, pathologists couldn't find a clear cause of death. Doctors decided as an extra precaution to take Becky's twin, Katie, into hospital. And you'll never guess who was the nurse on duty to look after Katie. That's right. Beverly. Katie had only been in the hospital for a few hours before she ran out with Katie in her arms, screaming for help, saying that she was going into cardiac arrest. And Beverly was right. Katie had stopped breathing and was quickly dying due to the lack of oxygen. Fortunately, the doctors at the hospital managed to save Katie. But then it happened again two days later. But this time, Katie's lungs actually collapsed, which made it very, very hard for the doctors to be able to get her to breathe again. Fortunately, the doctors were successful, and they managed to transfer Katie to the Nottingham Hospital. When Katie got to the Nottingham Hospital, it was quickly discovered that five of her ribs had been broken. Katie had suffered brain damage as a result of the oxygen deprivation. Sadly, Katie's mother, Sue Phillips, felt very, very grateful to Beverly for saving her daughter's life. Little did she know that Beverly was the reason that all this happened. Sue was so grateful, in fact, that she actually asked Beverly to be Katie's godmother. Beverly twistedly accepted this offer with honor. Beverly acted as if she had been a hero. However, thanks to Beverly, Katie now had cerebral palsy, paralysis, and damage to both her hearing and her sight. Beverly continued to attack more and more children at the hospital. Four more children who had been more or less perfectly healthy succumbed to similar disorders that Katie suffered. Beverly was always involved in the children's health care but for some reason nobody was growing suspicious of the sudden increase of these cases. There had been a drastic rise of cardiac arrest patients on the children's ward and nobody could connect the dots. That was until the doctors at Nottingham Hospital began questioning why so many cardiac arrest patients were being transferred there. Beverly's spree would quickly come to an end. Claire Peck was a 15-month-old girl who suffered from asthma. She was taken to the treatment room to have a tube put down her throat to help her to breathe. However, Beverly was left alone in the room with her for only a few minutes, and it was in that time that the child suffered a heart attack. Beverly alerted the crash team, who rushed in to try to revive her. And they fortunately managed to stabilize her, but not soon after the crash team left, the baby suffered from a second heart attack. The doctors tried their hardest to stabilize Claire one more time, but unfortunately, they failed. And Claire Peck, a 15-month-old girl, who had been admitted to hospital due to an asthma attack died due to heart failure. And that was when one of the doctors suddenly realized that that should never have happened he finally connected the dots an autopsy was carried out on claire's body which determined that she had actually died from natural causes an inquiry was then ordered to investigate the high number of cardiac arrest cases that had taken place on the children's ward within the past two months investigators checked for an airborne virus or some kind of virus but found nothing. A test was then conducted on Claire's body, which indicated that there was high levels of potassium in Claire's blood. That test result suddenly made the investigation much more urgent. However, it was still 18 more days before the police were called, and by this point, Claire had been buried by her family. But the investigators decided that they needed to carry out more tests, so they exhumed Claire's body. And these extra tests found traces of lidocaine in her tissues. Lidocaine is used in some circumstances surrounding cardiac arrest, however is fatal to a baby. That is when Superintendent Stuart Clifton realized that they had a killer on their hands. The investigator then decided to take a look at all the other confusing and strange cases that had taken place in the hospital within the past few months and found in all of them extremely high doses of insulin. The superintendent also learned that Beverly Allitt had reported the key to the medicines cabinet missing. And this medicines cabinet was a refrigerator that held all the insulin for the Children's Award. The investigator then decided to check all the records, talk with the families of the victims and even to install a security camera secretly into the children's ward the detective then went through the daily nursing log and actually found pages missing that corresponded to the time period where paul crampton had been in the children's ward this was immediately suspicious to the superintendent they then counted 25 very suspicious episodes with 13 different unrelated victims four of whom had died. They were looking for something which all of the victims had in common. And the only thing that they did all have in common was a thing that cracked the case. The pattern was clear. Beverly Allitt was the only person who had been involved in every single episode. After gathering enough evidence against Beverly, three weeks later, she was arrested. Beverly denied having any part in any of the attacks and protested that she had actually just been caring for the victims like a good nurse should. Beverly showed no signs of nervousness under interrogation. However, a search of Beverly's home quickly discovered the missing nursing log pages. And this evidence was concrete. The police began to look into Beverly's background and they discovered a pattern that pointed to a very severe personality disorder. Beverly Alex was thought to have suffered from Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy syndrome at the same time.
1: Munchausen syndrome is a disorder characterized by the invention uh, or or fabrication of symptoms by a patient. The reasons why they do this are often not often known to themselves but the motivation of the fabrication is to acquire what we call the sick role. The term Munchausen syndrome has been replaced really by fabricated illness or or factitious illness. If you look at patients who fabricate symptoms um, the majority of them are actually female the ratio of about four to one can start at any age but it's more commonly seen in in, uh, in adults. This is obviously something that's very serious and we usually find that people who have these problems and do these things to themselves have emotional difficulties and psychological problems. Some of them have been victims of uh, childhood abuse and they grow up to uh, have their needs met, if you like, uh, by uh, putting themselves through often dangerous and painful medical procedures you may find that the patient's interfering with a wound keeping it open um, you may find that the patient is interfering or tampering with blood samples or urine samples or uh, Uh, sputum samples as maybe introducing blood into their urine are very common. One of the worst cases on record is that of Wendy Scott, a
0: British woman who was admitted to more than 600 hospitals in 12 years and underwent a shocking 42 unnecessary surgeries. Scott's illness, she believed, had developed from the attention of a kind nurse during childhood, an experience she'd never had before. When she started to work in a depressing job as an adult, it wasn't long before she realised that illnesses brought her the affection she sought from others. And that is when she started going to hospital to get that attention. She has since recovered and actually started a support group, but she unfortunately did way more damage than she realised. Doctors turned her away when she complained of pain due to her track record. They thought she was just faking any ailments. Six months later, she died of inoperable intestinal cancer. This is a very, very serious case of Boy Who Cried Wolf. Now let's delve a bit into Beverly's history. When Beverly was a child, she wore bandages and casts over wounds, and she'd use that for attention. If anybody would try to examine these wounds, she would pull away and not let them. Beverly was one of four children and she seemed happy for a while. That was until she became overweight during her adolescence. From that time onwards, Beverly became violent. She had a very volatile temperament, she became aggressive towards others and started complaining of a series of physical ailments that sent her into hospital. She complained of gallbladder pain, headaches, urinary infections, uncontrolled vomiting, blurred visions, minor injuries, appendicitis, back trouble, ulcers, and so much more. Crazily, Beverly managed to persuade a doctor to remove a perfectly healthy appendix. After the surgery, Beverly would then pluck at the surgery scar, to prevent it from healing. She also went on to further injure herself with hammers and glass. Doctors soon became aware of what she was doing and that she was wasting their resources. So she ended up going from one doctor to another. When Beverly got older, she decided that she wanted to train as a nurse. Even while she was training to become a medical carer, she started doing weird things that got noticed by her peers and supervisors. She used to train and work in a nursing home and she was actually suspected of smearing feces on the walls and putting it in the refrigerator. She had also missed an amazing number of work days due to mysterious illnesses. Now, during her time in the nursing home, Beverly actually got into a relationship. Her boyfriend of two years told investigators that Beverly was aggressive, manipulative, and deceptive. She would pretend that she was pregnant when she was not. She even claimed to have been raped. During Beverly's relationship with this man, whose identity I'm not going to reveal just to help protect him, Beverly got involved with another nurse and abruptly ended their two-year-long relationship. When Beverly realized that her fake illnesses weren't getting the attention that she desired, she decided to start abusing children. This behavior is known as MHBP, or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Munchausen
1: by proxy syndrome, the term was changed to factitious illness by proxy. And that involves the invention or fabrication of symptoms in a child by a carer, because this is a form of child abuse. The mother may um, fabricate a symptom in the child. So what then happens is that the, the doctor unknowingly will um, investigate that child and here's where the problems occur because the investigations can be um, invasive they can involve doing very uh, invasive and potentially dangerous investigations into the child and that child may develop con- consequences adverse consequences and the child may die um, because this, this is a, has, a, has a mortality of about 10% associated with it.
0: After Beverly's arrest, a psychiatrist visited her in prison and he told investigators and the court that he believed that Beverly suffered from both the disorders. A paediatric specialist spoke to Beverly on two separate occasions and this paediatric specialist also agrees that she suffers from both these disorders. However, neither the psychiatrist or the paediatric specialist could get Beverly to confess to any of the crimes. After a series of hearings, Beverly Allitt was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of causing grievous body harm. Interestingly to note, as Beverly awaited the trial, she actually began to rapidly lose weight, and she succumbed to anorexia nervosa, which psychiatrists used as a further indication of her psychological state. If you're unaware of what anorexia nervosa is, Anorexia nervosa is an emotional disorder characterised by an obsessive desire to lose weight by refusing to eat most commonly known as just anorexia. Beverly's trial was actually postponed several times due to her illnesses. But when she finally went to a trial at Nottingham Crown Court, prosecutors showed the jury how Beverly had been there at each and every episode. They showed the jury how Beverly had craved attention her entire life and showed the jury how Beverly had acted in a cold manner while the babies suffered. They also pointed out to the jury that these mysterious cardiac arrest cases and these mysterious attacks had completely stopped since Beverly had been taken off the ward and had been put in prison. The prosecution also argued that the high levels of insulin in all of the victims was evidence of wrongful drug injection. Beverly was accused of cutting off oxygen by smothering or by tampering with machines. Beverly actually demonstrated very peculiar post-arrest behavior. Beverly was hospitalized when she was arrested due to her illnesses and her anorexia. And while she was in the hospital, she would actually tamper with the thermometers. And this was to produce strange readings which would confuse doctors and nurses. She also punctured her right breast to be able to inject water. People who suffer from these syndromes can cause harm to others without fully realizing the suffering they're causing. Psychiatrists determined that it was very, 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 very unlikely that Beverly would ever be cured of these disorders. And that meant that she was a clear danger to others. Beverly's trial lasted two months. And interestingly, Beverly only attended 16 days of this trial due to her illnesses. On the 23rd of May, 1933, Beverly Allitts was convicted of all the charges and given 13 life sentences for murder and attempted murder. It was the harshest sentence ever given to a woman in Britain in modern times. But the judge told the court that it was in part for the victims in part for the families, and in part for how she'd brought doubt upon the integrity of a very noble profession. Beverly's behavior didn't stop when she went to prison. She began to injure herself again to try to get some kind of attention. And she'd injure herself with paper clips and by pouring boiling water on her hand. She eventually admitted to three of the four murders and some of the assaults. She is currently detained at Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire. And that is everything we have in this case. Let me know what you think about this case in the comment section down below. This case is truly one of the most messed up cases that I've covered on this channel, especially with how nobody got suspicious of all of these children dying and going to cardiac arrest when they're only being administered into hospital for minor things like a chesty cough or an asthma attack. Thank you so much for watching this episode in my Curious Case True Crime series. If you're not aware, I usually upload two videos a week, one on a Wednesday and one on a Sunday. The Wednesday video is whatever I really feel like uploading and the Sunday video is my regular chew crime case. So don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post. Now, with all that being said, I'll see you in the next video.
1: Miss, for a dollar. No, why? Because.